Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, we come to thank you this morning for bringing us here. What a beautiful day just to be in your house. And Lord, just declare your holiness. And Lord, as we come together, Lord, I pray that you would just, we invite you to join with us. Help us as we celebrate your presence, your presence and express our love to you. As we express our love and serve one another this morning as we build up to your glory. And we just thank you for this opportunity. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk this morning, we're going to take a break for the next week or two from our study in Mark to talk about a word more fully confirmed from 2 Peter chapter 1. You can turn to there if you would like. As I was just thinking about Sunday, uh, April 1959, it was a Sunday under the sign of Aries, as if that's very important. But what's interesting is the president at that time was Dwight D. Eisenhower. In that week, Frankie Avalon's Venus was the number one song. Uh, Imitation of Life, though I don't remember that movie because I wasn't born yet, was the number one movie of that week, as well as, I've never read this book, but it must be interesting, The Ugly American was the best-selling book of that time. Interesting how time goes and just kind of interesting fact about that. Al Mohler, one of the leading evangelical thinkers of our time, wrote an article titled, Keeping the Faith in a Faithless Age, the Church as a Moral minority. In that article, he writes the following, the church has no right to follow the secular siren call towards moral revisionism and political correct positions on the issues of that day. He then goes on in that article to write a few other things. Society, we're all based on explicit Christian principles, concern for the individual, a commitment to human rights, and respect for the good, the beautiful, and the true all These all grew out of the Christian convictions and the influence of revealed religion. All of these, we now hasten to add, are under serious attack. The very notion of right and wrong is now discarded by large sections of American society. Where it is not discarded, it is often debased. Taking a page out of Alice in Wonderland, modern secularists simply declare wrong, right, and right, wrong. When God is dead argued Dostoevsky, anything is permissible. The permissiveness of modern American society can scarcely be exaggerated, but it can be traced directly to the fact that modern men and women act as if God does not exist. Or if He does exist, He is powerless to accomplish His will. He writes, the Christian church now finds itself facing a new reality. The church no longer represents the central core of Western culture. He writes, though the outposts of Christian influence may remain, they are the exceptions rather than the rule. For the most part, the church has been displaced by the reign of secularism. He says the newspapers bring a constant barrage which confirms the current state of American society. This age is not the first to see unspeakable horror and evil, But it's the first, listen to this, to deny any consistent basis for identifying evil as evil or good as good. He says the faithful church is for the most part tolerated as one voice in the public arena 
but only so long as it does not attempt to exercise any credible influence on the state affairs. Should the church speak forcefully to an issue of public debate, it is castigated as corrosive and out of date. He says little progress toward the reestablishment of a moral center of gravity can be detected. Instead, the cultures move swiftly toward a more complete abandonment of all moral conviction. He goes on, and this is important, and this is where we're going to lay ourselves this morning. It's the confessing church must now be willing to be a moral minority, no longer a moral majority, if that is all what the times demands. The church has no right to continue to follow, as I said before, the siren call. Whatever the issue, the church must speak as the church, that is, as the community of fallen but redeemed, those who stand under divine authority. The concerns of the church is not to know its own mind, but to know and follow the mind of God. And I believe we have churches today that are more interested in their own mind than the mind of God. He says the church convictions must not emerge from the ashes of our own fallen wisdom, but from the authoritative word of God, which reveals the wisdom of God and His commands. It's to be a community of character produced by people who stand under the authority of a sovereign God of the universe. And those people will be at odds with a culture of unbelief. The American church is faced with a new situation. This new context is as current as the morning newspaper and as old as the first Christian churches in Corinth and Ephesus, Laodicea and Rome. Eternity will record whether or not the American church is willing to submit only to the authority of God or whether the church will forfeit its calling in order to serve lesser gods. He goes on to finish, the church must awaken to its status as a moral minority and hold fast to the gospel. We have been trusted to preach. In doing so, the deep springs of permanent truth will reveal the church to be a life-giving oasis amidst America's moral desert. He didn't write this this week. He wrote that in July 16, 2009. And we are in much dire straits than when he first penned those things. We see it each and every day in our newspapers. You come across it in your Facebook posts, in your Twitter. We see it with states that are finding themselves under gun when they stand up for what we would believe the Bible teaches. A famous pastor wrote several years ago that there is nothing like the church when it's working right. The local church, he writes, is the hope of the world. And I'm here to tell you, I believe that's true. You see, the church is God's eternal plan. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote that he was made a minister in order to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery that was hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You and I have a purpose. When they began the church in 1958, there was a purpose. It was to make the manifold wisdom of God known. Maintain the times we think the church is just a thing in which we just collect people who are like-minded, who look alike, who want to just do some things together. But our purpose... What God has called us to is much greater. Paul goes on to write that Christ is the head of the church. His body and it's himself is the Savior. And that he loved the church and he gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with his word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle 
or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. See, God has promised several things about His church. He promised to build His church, to sustain His church, to guide the church, to preserve the church, to present the church as His bride. Paul instructed the churches at Ephesus that they were no longer strangers and aliens, but they were fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself being that cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It's in Him we are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So God is in the process of building this church. Yes, the gospel is the whole universal gospel, also as it's expressed in the local, visible expression of the local church of His body, His collection of believers. So if these were the goals, and they're pretty lofty, these are eternal purposes, the question I have to ask is why do churches fail? How do they lose their way? Why is it there's some churches now that say that evil is good and good is evil? Why have so many left the manifold wisdom of God and have accepted the wisdom of man? Why are so many closing their doors or stop being the light? I believe the main reason is that they neglect the Word of God. And I think if you look at churches, you can see their demise is when they begin to walk away from the Word of God. They neglect it. There's no longer the public reading. There's no longer the devotion to the teaching of God's Word. They have succumbed to the pressures of the culture and society and even their own sins, and they no longer hold the Word of God dear to their hearts. 2 Peter chapter 1, we see in verse 16 that Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. They saw the very works of Christ. They saw Him ascend into heaven. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and his voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. We ourselves, Peter, John, and James, they heard it. We heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain, speaking of the transfiguration that we saw several weeks ago. But in verse 19, listen to what he says. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place till the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we come before you this morning to thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this word that is more fully confirmed. It's not just the testimony of the eyewitnesses. It's not just the hearsay. But Lord, we have your word confirmed and shown in our hearts. And I pray that you open up our minds and hearts this morning to receive your word. Let us see the preciousness, the treasure of your word. Let us see ourselves now, 58 years now down the road. Let us still be that church that stands to the word of God especially against the winds and the pressures and the tensions of our society. Lord, let us hold fast 
In your name we pray. Amen. 58 years ago, a group of people, there was five of them going to different churches at the time, wanted to begin a new work in which they could do, in which they could start here in Northeast Orange. And in it, they came up with some articles of faith, things in which the church needs to do and to believe. And the very first article of faith they came to was that concerning the Holy Scriptures. They wrote, we believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament is to be the verbally inspired Word of God, the final authority for faith and life, inerrant in the original writings, infallible and God-breathed. They recognized even then that if they were going to be a church that's going to do God's work, they need to have a firm foundation based in something other than just their individual desire just to be together and do life together. It was more than just the social club. It was more than just some type of gathering together. But they said, we are going to stand on God's word. I'm here to tell you, if we as Orangeville Bible Church, if we want to continue what they started, then our stand too must be on the word of God. We believe that the word of God is the catalyst for the transformation in individual lives in the church. And let me tell you, this includes the concept of teaching for life change. We don't come together. We don't believe the Word of God is there just for information. It's more than just a, a collection of things. We, it's more than just a history book. And, I, and we say this, sometimes we say these things without thinking. And we say, oh, well, the Bible is my guidebook. It's my rule book. Well, it's more than that. The Boy Scout Hand Manual is a guidebook and a rule. I mean, you got the rules of the road. And the Bible is much more than that. Thank you. It's about life transformation. It's about reading it and understanding it and bringing it to our hearts and, and having our minds and our hearts renewed. It's about coming from dark into light. It's about transforming our worldview. And that begins by holding on to God's Word. Kevin Van Hooser, he's a theologian, writes that God's Word is something that God does. The Bible is not simply an object to be studied, but it's the principal means by which the Lord engages His people and administers His covenant. We don't need prophetic words coming from, from someone who just, you know, just says, well, this is what I think God is giving me. We have God's Word. He tells us it's complete, it's sufficient for all matters that pertain to holiness and to godliness. It's the thing that you and I can hold on to. And I think what we see is you and I need to regather that and make that as a commitment this morning once again that we too will hold God's Word true. I wanted to give you a couple examples. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah. We're not going to read the verses, but I can give you some of the verses if you just want to follow up. Because I want you to look at Israel's response to the Word of God. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and chapter 9, you see, this is the time when Israel is now returning back to the land of Israel. There's a, a group that are coming back. They're building up the walls of Jerusalem. The temple will be rebuilt. And then we come to Nehemiah 8. We find that in their cleaning out of the temple, they find the Torah. They find the Word of God. And I want to show you the response. Now remember, Israel had been displaced and, dis, and, and, and kicked out of Israel because of their lack of obedience to God's Word. And so for many of these, there's probably some older folks and then there's probably some people who were young children at the time. This is 70 years after they were first kicked out of Israel. But we look at Israel's response to the Word of God when they find it. In verse 1, see, we see that all the people gathered. 
I believe it's in verse 2 we might see that, that the people or Ezra begins to read the law. The people were attentive. They actually stood when the law was open and read. They showed reverence. Hence why here when we do the scripture reading at the beginning, the call to worship and the reading scripture, we stand. Because it shows a reverence that we're ready to receive it. There was prayer as people were in agreement in verse 6. In verse 8, I believe the law was explained and understood. In other words, they read it and then they taught and shared what it meant. They wept in response with rejoicing. In verse 10 and 12, there was the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the people responded in obedience. In Nehemiah 9, we see that after the reading of God's word, it caused them to come in confession of sin and worship. When we read God's Word, there ought to be a confession of sin. There ought to be a recognition that, hey, my mind, my heart is not attuned with the Word of God, and something must happen in my life. So many times, I believe, sometimes we struggle with the Word of God. And when it becomes too tough, we just drop it and say, well, I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to have to follow what it says. Unfortunately, there's so many churches and Christians who say, yes, I love the Bible. I believe the Bible is God's Word, but yet... In counseling and teaching, when you bring them to the Word of God, if it goes against what they think and what they believe, they're ready to drop it. And then just say, yeah, but that's the Word of God. But yeah, We're very good at taking bits and pieces of Scripture. We like the words of Jesus until He says, take up your cross and follow me. Not only is there confession of sin and worship, but there's a reflect on their national disobedience. And there was a renewed covenant, commitment to the covenant. And I look at that and I think, wow, what a wonderful response to God's word. But then I looked at it today and I asked, what's the response of people to the Bible today? In the last quarter century, it seems that we have learned how to sell Bibles better, but not how to sell or understand what's in the Bible. Increasingly, people pick up and choose the Bible content like they, they like or feel comfortable with, but they ignore the rest of God's counsel. This tendency seems especially prolific among young adults and teenagers. It seems each and every generation gets more and more so. But what can we do to elevate the prominence, the credibility? What can you and I do to, to give the perceived value of God's Word in the eyes of a fickle and distracted public? How can we hold it up as God's Word? And yes, it is God's Word. It means that we're responsible for it. We'll be held accountable for it. I believe it's time for we as the church, as believers, as all things, it starts at the house of God. And I believe the public won't do it. Our leaders won't do it. Our school systems and our public systems and everything else, they will not treasure God's Word until you and I treasure God's Word. And so that's my question today. Do you treasure God's Word? So I want to share with you four ways that you can treasure or why we need to treasure God's Word. The first reason, let's get right into it. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We need to treasure God's Word because the Word of God is profitable. It is profitable. 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says in verse 14, as Paul is writing to Timothy, his child in the Spirit, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been what? Acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
For he says in verse 16, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why is that? So that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So why is the Bible profitable? Because it's profitable, he says, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training. In other words, it's able to tell us what is right and what is wrong. And we live in a world right now that is just blurring those lines, as Al Mohler says. No longer is do we say what's right is good. No, we say what's right is actually evil, and evil is right. We live in a world where everything is just topsy-turvy. Let me tell you, the Bible tells us what is right. It tells us what is right and what is wrong. When he talks about reproof, it tells us when we've done something, when we've gone against God's word. In other words, it says, do not steal. And then it says, if you do not give to your brother, you're stealing. He says, do not murder. And then he tells us, wait a second, you're angry with your brother. You're, that's the same as murdering. So it tells us when we go off those rails. And then he tells us how to correct it by loving, by forgiving by serving one another. And then the training in righteousness, it tells us how to stay right. So it tells us what's right. It tells us when we go wrong. It tells us how to get right. And it tells us how to stay right. Let me ask you, do you see God's word as that? Do you see it profitable in that way? Do you use it as a way to see how you should love your wife, love your family, serve as an employee or as an employer, how to use your money, do you see it as a way how to engage and interact with the world? Do you see how it says to give all to the glory of God? The Bible is profitable, for it tells us everything that we know that pertains to good godliness and the holiness. I think many times people fail to see how profitable God's Word. They see the profit made in making and selling Bibles but not in what it truly is. So I want to challenge you here this morning. How profitable is God's word to you today? What is it that you're struggling in your life right now? What decisions, big decisions need to be made in your life? And let me ask you, what role does God's word play in it? I believe it ought to play a most important role. Number two, we need to treasure God's word because the word of God is powerful. It's powerful. Hebrew tells us that the Word of God is living and active. So many people think that it's a dead book, that it has no relevance for day. But let me tell you that it's living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints, of marrow and discerning the thoughts and attentions of the heart. And I think that's so good when it comes to, to counseling. What is it should be our counseling tool? The one that's active and powerful, that really can tell the intentions of the heart, that gets down into the emotion and the heart matters. So many times we want to think of other ways that we can get to it. But let me tell you, it gets down to the Word of God. It's powerful. And let me tell you, that's many times why you and I don't want to touch it, because we know what it is. It's become so toxic to us because we look it up and we see ourselves. We do not like what we see. It makes no difference. If I look in the mirror of myself and I can see my shape, it does me no good to go get some type of carnival funny man mirror that makes me look thin and say, oh, I don't like this one. I'll look in the, oh, wow. Oh, look how tall I am. And then I walk out and I act like this mirror is telling the truth. That's the world we live in. And you may laugh, but I believe there's Christians who are living, those who profess to be Christians, who are living their life by the wrong 
mirror. And then they wonder what's going on. What's going on with their lives? Why is there no joy? Why doesn't God answer my prayer? Why am I not happy? Why am I still struggling with this sin? Because we're looking in the wrong mirror. We're putting, giving power to the wrong thing. Then thirdly, we need to treasure God's Word because the Word of God gives life. And I think we've forgotten that. It gives life. 1 John 5.13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Romans tells us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Let me tell you, it is through the Word of God that we come to know who we are. We come to know who God is and our need for God. We need to recognize that these are the words of life. There's an old hymn. I won't remember it all, but it's, it's called The Wonderful Words of Life, Wooing Us to Heaven. I just love that old phrase. Now, as a kid, when I'd say that word, I'd say, oh, uh, you, you, you kind of laugh a little bit. But as you got older, you recognize what it is. It's God is wooing us. Why? Because he wants to give us the words of life. So many times we want to give counsel and give uh, advice to people. And we think that we're helping them, but yet, unless it comes from the word of God, the real life that they need is eternal life. They need to know how they stand before a most holy God. You know, we are Dustin and I, and I want to thank this church, by the way, for giving us the opportunity to go to that conference. And then it was uh, celebrating the upcoming 500th year of the Reformation. And most of the Reformation is based on the fact of what God's Word says, Scripture alone, and how we're justified through grace alone. We need to recognize that there are many people, there are many people who died, who were burned at the stake to give us this Bible. What is it? Uh, I think what when it William Tyndale, he died at the stake for putting the, uh, the New Testament into English. I think I've heard it before, but uh, one of the speakers uh, reminded us that about what 95% of the English version that you read is still William Tyndale, the one who was burned at the stake, who was hiding out and wrote it on scripts of paper, who was not finished until he died and one of his assistants put it together. 95% of we had is written by a man who was burned at the stake. Many others, John Huff, and, and my mind would just skip uh, the, the others who would gave us the word of God. Why? Because they realized that it gave life. They were willing to die for that which pointed towards eternal life. You and I probably have Bibles all over our house. We probably have many different translations and versions and so on and so forth. But do we believe that it has the words of life? And is it shown by our love for it, by the fact that we share it. Not just buy some Bible, but recognize the importance that it gives life. Then take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Not only is it that we need to treasure God's Word because it's profitable, it's powerful, and that it gives life. But the Word of God also gives wisdom, if you're taking notes. It gives wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is writing to this church that is struggling. They have all the gifts of the Spirit, but yet there's still division. They're still struggling with understanding truly what God is doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he says, Where is the one who is wise? Point him out to me. Who is the ones who are wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom 
of this world, but yet you and I are so entranced by those who have nothing truly to say when they neglect and deny the Word of God. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. In other words, in our minds, we could not know God. The only way that you and I know God or even know ourselves is through the Word of God. For he says, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 22, For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's folly to the Gentiles because with all their Aristotles and everyone else, they just want philosophy and wisdom. Verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let me tell you, if you want true wisdom, it's not going to be found in the halls of some secular institution. It's not going to be found in the public square. It's going to be found in the Word of God. Can all these other things be helpful? Yes. Those are the common grace benefits that God gives to all of His creatures. But you and I have in His Word a special revelation that gives true wisdom. Do we understand that? Do we accept that? Do we pick it up and read it in that way? I'd probably say it that we have to evaluate our churches today, and maybe even this church here, if we were to evaluate by how you and I treasure God's Word, we may find ourselves wanting. If God were to come and say, how much do you treasure my Word? The Word of God is profitable. It is powerful, it gives life, and it gives wisdom. But let me tell you, it's not enough just to read God's Word. Because you may say, yes, I believe all those things, but He gives a warning. And we know it from an old song. You know that song? Remember that song with me? Some of you might remember. Uh, uh, how's it go? The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the house on the rock stood what? Yeah, then what about the sand? The foolish man built his house upon the sand, Right? The rains came down, the walls, and the rains came down, and the floods came up, and what happened to the house on the sand? It went tumbling down, it went smashed. It didn't stand. And in here in Matthew chapter 7, he says, you want to know what the difference between a wise man and a foolish man? Before you go into debt with a student loan, or you try to go to some type of Tony Robbins thing and want to get all the wisdom of the world, and stuns, before you start looking at astrology and the stars, let me tell you, here's the difference between a wise and a foolish man. He says both the wise and the foolish man hears the word of God. But what's the difference? One obeys and one does not. For he says the one who hears my words and does them is a wise man who builds this house upon the rock. But the foolish man is the one who hears my words and goes on. It's like, again, me going to a mirror, looking in there and looking and saying, oh, well, this doesn't work anymore, but it used to work. So just use your imagination. Oh, my hair is askew. It's messed up. But and then I just take some water and I threw it away and I put it on and it says, oh, it looks okay. And then I walk away acting like my hair is still okay. That's how we look. We hear God's word, we read God's word, but yet we never respond to God's word. And let me challenge you. It's more than just to hear what I have to say. 
It's more than just to hear what I have to read from God's Word. If you walk out this door and you haven't responded to the Word of God today, then you're no better than the Israelites who were kicked out of their land. You may have a copy of God's Word. You may even swear allegiance to it. You may even know the Bible song and the Bible allegiance pledge. But it's not in you. You haven't treasured it. This warning is not just to hear and read, but obey. Take your Bible once again and turn to James. But don't take my word for it. Let's see what James has to say. It's James chapter 1, verse 22. You know this passage. He says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's what happens when you hear and read and do not respond. You're just deceiving yourself. You're looking in that mirror and walking away as if everything is fine. He says, for anyone, in verse 23, is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and then he goes away at once and forgets what he was like. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be what? Blessed in his doing. Are you wondering why the blessings of God seem to be just outside your range? Why it sometimes seems like it just isn't there? Maybe it's compacting. You're not treasuring God's word. You're not reading and listening and then treasuring and obeying and doing. He tells us in Titus, he says to Titus, he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He tells us as a church, not only do we need to treasure God's word, but we need to teach it, we need to read it, we need to hold on to it. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you want to turn there very quickly, he talks to Timothy, he says, you, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, again, going back to what Al Mohler said, I think there are people who either believe God does not exist or that he will never judge us and we'll never stand before him. That's a foolish man, by the way. He says, who will judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? He says, for the time, and this is written 2,000 years ago, he says the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Is that not what's going on in churches today? They will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I'm here to tell you, we cannot be numbered among those that are deceived. In Romans, Paul gives thanks that you have become obedient from the heart to the pattern of teaching which you were committed. And we need to be people that are obedient to the, the pattern of teaching. He says, follow the pattern of sound words which you heard from me. He says, the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to stand firm and hold to the traditions that were taught by us. And he says, I did not declare from you declaring the whole counsel of God. Many times that's where we stand. As we grab the Bible and we find our favorite parts, our hobby horses, those places where we feel like it's a little bit solid, those things that we enjoy. We know all those verses, we know all those doctrines, but yet we don't know the full counsel of God and no desire to do so. But let me tell you, all of it is profitable. All of it is treasurable. When you and I stand before a living God, 
He will judge whether or not we are faithful. But let me ask you, to what standard will He judge you faithful? How do you and I even know in what way we're to be faithful? It's only through the Word of God. 58 years ago, they understood that. And when they began Orangeville Bible Church, they committed to being a church that was faithful and treasured the Word of God. Why is this important? So scripture tells us that you and I are required to continue in the faith, to be stable and steadfast. We are urged to attain to the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And so many times you see that where people, they're just like kites and they're just all over the place. They love all the little uh, little minutia of Scripture. They want to talk about all the little fun things and things that we don't know and things that we may never understand, but yet when it comes to the solid meat, we never want to get into there. We shoot it out We're like people with no teeth. We don't want to chew on it and understand it. He says there are many deceivers in this world. The only way that you and I can know the difference is by knowing God's Word. He says that there are difficult doctrines which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. So it's important for you and I to know what the Bible says, to understand what the Bible says. He says there's also leaders must be raised up who can give instruction in sound doctrine and confute those who contradict it. Let me end by as we come to this part. It's just as the founders of OVBC held dear the Word of God and they recognized the importance of starting a church that would carry the message of the gospel to the surrounding area, so must we. As we're speaking about, should we go on with Summit? Should we go on with the night? Story, but all these different things, what has to be central to any mission or program that we do is whether or not is God's Word central to it. Because you and I can do a lot of things, but if the Word of God is not central to it, then what hope does it have? You're just giving them programs. You're just giving them experiences. And all those things and memories, all those things are good and positive. And again, common graces, but they must be found in the Word of God. So just as they recognize the importance of starting a church to carry the message of the Word of God to the surrounding areas, for you and I must understand that we stand on the shoulders of all those who have sacrificed and served. And you and I must continue to carry on the work of God's church. When I get to heaven and I meet Kim Anderson once again, and I meet some of those other dear saints that I never had the opportunity to meet, I want to stand as a faithful one who used their resources and their gifts and their services and continued the work. What is the most important thing in any relay race? It's not how fast you run. It's not the size, you're, you know, the type of shoes you have, but it's the handoff, is it not? You can be the fastest team, but if you blow the handoff, you've lost it. We've seen it in the Olympics. The United States has suffered through that. You drop the baton, the race is over. Let us not drop the baton. Not only in our running, but you and I need to start handing it off to others. And let me tell you, those of you in captivity, you are not our future church. You are here and now. 
You're the people that need to hold on to this doctrine, grab onto it, grab that baton and say, let us run the race that's set before us. Let's be faithful. We stand on the shoulder, and so we must continue to carry out the work of God. So let me come to this. So as you and I begin our 59th year of ministry, we're joining together to commit to the following and the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to continue to pray for the spread of the gospel. For that's our call. The same call that's in Acts 1.8. The same call that's in Matthew 28, uh, 19-20. That's our call. That's our commission. We need to continue to serve one another with love. We need to continue to pursue holiness and godliness in our personal lives. We need to be, continue to be devoted to the Word of God in our preaching and our teaching. This must be Orange Villa Bible Church. For without it, we're just one of these other churches that's just doing their own thing. But let me tell you, it will not last. So let me tell you, if you're here at Orange Villa, don't look at our attendance numbers. Don't look at how many are in Sunday school or how many are in small groups or what the worship team may sound like. Don't look at the children's ministry. Don't look at those things. But look whether or not that church is faithful to the teaching and the reading and the treasuring of God's Word. For that's a church that you want to be part of. That's a church that you want to belong to. It's also our desire to commit to the following. And here's where I wanted to give you a little bit glimpse into our future as we continue on in our 59th year is one is to pray and serve and give to the ministry of our Spanish-speaking community in our area. And this church, as it's been in here since 1960, I believe, is when the doors opened. This community has changed. And I'm thankful we've been praying for a long time for another pastor to come along and just help us build a Spanish-language service. Not build a Spanish church, but build a Spanish-speaking service. That's part of us. They're, they're part of, of us. They're here. They worship with us. We'll eat together. We'll love God together and serve together. So would you pray, begin to continue to pray and serve and to give towards that. It costs money. We want to encourage you to do so. We want you to pray and give and commit to strengthen our missions program. It's our desire this year to look at our mission program and have it grow. You know, it was interesting and actually encouraging as we were looking at the photo albums in the back. I saw that within the first few years, they had a missions conference. And you can go back and you can look at that bulletin from the 60-61 area and just see the missions that they were already doing. We need to continue that. We need to strengthen that. It needs to be more. It needs to grow. It needs to take shape. And then the big one that we want to encourage you to do is we want you to begin praying now as we plan to start a new church in the next five years. That's our goal. Why? Because we believe that's important. We believe that a healthy church is one who starts new churches, who begins new works, who spreads the gospel. And you say, wait a second, looking at the numbers here, we don't need another church. We can't start another church. We don't have the people. We don't have the funds. And you're right. We are not sufficient for these things, brothers and sisters. We're not. We're not sufficient for the things that we've done in the last 59 years. But God is faithful, who continued to accomplish His will. And so instead of us just saying, this is one minute, we want to say, Lord, is this what you want us to do? So would you begin planning and praying for that as we look at that? As we grow, that'll, I believe that'll be a commitment that God will honor. We're not sufficient for these things. Yet God is. So I'd ask you to come to this morning. Would you treasure the word of God with me? For it's in the word of God that we stand and we fall as a church. As we celebrate and thank God for 59 years, 
We want to continue doing what God has called us to do, holding fast to the Word of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, here comes that part where we pause, we consider and we pray and respond to the Holy Spirit. One message, but maybe there was 50 here over there, but 40 or so here, you might have heard something different. The Spirit may be calling you a different way. Would you treasure His Word this morning? What is God calling you to commit to? Father, You're such a good God, and I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for those men and women who died to give us Your Word. Lord, I thank You for those who began this church 59 years ago. I thank You for their sacrifice, for their service, for their commitment to You, and I thank You that they, they started a church based on Your Word. And Lord, I pray now as we're here and we stand and we're receiving the benefits of that, I pray that you would just recommit our hearts to treasure your word. Let us see that it is powerful, that it is wisdom, and that it's profitable. Let us see that it's the words of life. And Father, I pray that that would just do a transforming work in our heart to love your word and to share your word as we continue to be faithful. Give us the strength to do so. We thank you for this opportunity. May you be glorified as we do so. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.